Hey, Dunkerpunks, this is Dana Cassell, one of your podcast hosts. Excited to bring you another episode. Have you heard that story that Jesus tells about forgiveness? You can find it in Matthew's Gospel, but it might already be familiar to you. It starts because Peter, one of the disciples, has a question. Lord, he says to Jesus, if somebody sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive them? Seven times? That's pretty generous, right? That, that sounds like a good, a good number, seven times. And Jesus says, oh no, Peter, if you're one of my followers and you want to live in the kind of world that I am about, then you're going to learn really quickly that forgiveness is a very big deal. You should get ready, be prepared to forgive somebody way more often and way more fully than the world around you thinks is sufficient. Not seven times, Peter. Seventy times seven. I imagine Peter was kind of baffled, and Jesus probably saw his face, and then Jesus tells this story. There was this king who wanted to settle all his accounts with all of his servants. And one of the servants owed the king a lot, 10,000 talents. And so the king had that servant brought to his chambers to demand his payment. But the servant was servant, so he didn't have the cash on him. And so the king said, well, sorry, too bad. Guess I'm going to have to sell you and all your family to make up the debt. And when the servant heard that, he fell on his knees in front of the king and begged him not to do it. He said, no, no, have patience. I will work as much as I can. I'll work overtime. I'll do nights. I'll do weekends. Let me, let me have a little time and I can pay off those 10,000 talents. And the king's heart was moved. And so he not only granted the servant's plea, but he actually forgave the entire debt. Just wiped it out with one word and sent the servant on his way. Well, this guy barely makes it out of the palace, having just been forgiven an enormous debt, when he runs into a fellow servant out on the street. And that guy, the second servant, happened to owe the first guy a few hundred denarii, like pocket change in comparison to the gigantic debt this guy's just been relieved of. But the recently forgiven servant sees the guy who owes him a few bucks, grabs him by the throat, picks him up, and bellows in his face, pay me what you owe me or else. And the second servant, coward, fell on his feet and pleaded with the first guy, have patience. If you just give me time, I will work overtime. I'll do nights. I'll do weekends. Just give me a little time and I'll be able to scrape up those denarii and give them to you. But the bellowing, angry, forgiven servant wouldn't hear any of it. And instead, he called the guards and had that indebted co-worker thrown into prison. And you will not be surprised to hear that word of this scenario, fiasco, this drama in the street, word quickly got back to the king who just finished forgiving that guy 10,000 talents. And so he calls that servant right back into his quarters where he's just been. And he says, you bum, 
didn't I literally just forgive you an enormous debt? Like, you literally were forgiven the minute before you walked out on the street and refused mercy to that other guy. And the king sent the first servant to be imprisoned and tortured until he could pay off his original debt. So Jesus tells this story about the importance of forgiveness, and then, not mincing any words, he says, So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I have been recently really troubled by Jesus's clarity in his teachings. He is just not beat around the bush. He says what he says, and he means it. Forgiveness is a very big deal to Jesus. He doesn't say, yeah, forgive seven times, that sounds good. He doesn't say, yeah, it's okay, you're forgiven, but you can hold everybody else to a different standard. We who have been forgiven much are also called to forgive in big ways. Jesus has hard teachings. And forgiveness is not easy, and it is not simple. It takes serious spiritual, emotional, and relational work to be able to forgive the people who hurt us. It takes serious spiritual, emotional, and relational work to ask for forgiveness from the people we've hurt. In our episode today, Gabe Padilla has a testimony to share about his own journey toward forgiveness. And I invite you to listen with Jesus's instructions in mind. until I became an adult that I realized how much of those teachings have stuck with me. One of the first things we were taught in Sunday school was about the seven sacraments. I'll not bore you with the details on all seven, but I want to focus on one, the sacrament of reconciliation. Anytime I think of the sacrament of reconciliation, I think of one word, Uh, confession. I am so sorry, but I have always despised confession. 
Confession was cool, right? You got to tell the father about your sins, which for me were typically the fights with my siblings and back-talking to my parents. The father would give you different prayers to pray, and then suddenly you were absolved of them. As I got older, though, I began to question how doing five Hail Marys and five Our Fathers or whatever cleared me of those sins. Were they true absolution of wrongdoing, or did they just make me feel better? Honestly, it was the second one. As I became a teen and older, I found out that instead of reciting specific prayers a multitude of times, I prefer the act of asking for forgiveness or facing the natural consequences of my decision to be rude or a punk to someone. No offense to the Catholic Church, much of my ignorance came from me not understanding what it means to confess your sins. When I sat down and talked to Pastor Allen about the topic of, for this podcast, he clarified me that there is a huge difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. They are not the same thing, folks. What I have realized through talking and reading is that forgiveness can be one-sided, while the act of reconciling with someone takes both people willingly want to, wanting to make the relationship better. With that background, I want to take you all on a personal journey of forgiveness and reconciliation with my mom and my ex-stepdad. After that, I would like to discuss Desmond Tutu's The Book of Forgiving and how it relates to my story. So hold on tight, get a pot of coffee, tea, or water, whatever you drink, and settle in. Keep in mind that this is my side of the story, and they are pretty randomly in this podcast, so I apologize for that. I will also uh, let you all know, just for trigger warnings, I will discuss abuse, drug and alcohol abuse, and discrimination. We are going to go back to the year 2004. On May 5th, 2004, my parents' divorce was made official. My dad left for Army basic training, and it was my brother's birthday, so you can say it was a pretty busy day. I remember all four of us kids being with my dad's family when we took him to the office to drop him off for basic training, and we were all upset, naturally. I don't, I don't remember if I cried. I don't truly remember any of it other than just dropping him off but I still remember to the day the day 17 years later my parents had been separated off and on for the last few years which was hard on us kids though I think that as the oldest my memories are still clearer for me and raw anyways we're gonna go to the past more than just May of 2004 but we're gonna go to March of 2004 before my dad left I knew my mom had started seeing someone who I'll call DG they met through work. I met him during the time that I was staying with my mom. He was a police officer, clean cut, nice, well-mannered. I thought, heck, he could be a good fit for her since she looks so unhappy. And as a nine-year-old, well, it's kind of weird that I was able to see that. But things aren't always as they seem. Once my dad left for the army, us four kids and my mom began living with DG in his one-bedroom apartment, despite us having a bigger duplex on the south side that was perfect size for us plus DG and his two boys who we had on the weekends. It was tight quarters, so not sure how we did it for months. During that summer is when things began to change. My dad wasn't a phone call away. He was a postcard or a letter away, so he couldn't help. DG began to express discomfort with us speaking Spanish, which was tragic for me. I was, I'm Hispanic, and I was going to a bilingual school at the time, and I enjoyed speaking Spanish, especially with my Nana Lucy, my dad's mom. I had been to Mexico a handful of times and was proud to know how to communicate. Sadly, though, it became a rule that no Spanish was allowed in the house. 
This was devastating and eventually made me lose the Spanish I knew. As a kid who was raised learning two languages and both at the same time, this was a heavy loss. DG loved nicknames, and to my dismay, he gave me a nickname that he knew would get under my skin. From a young age, I loved dressing like a tomboy and eventually liked wearing men's clothing. So he gave me a nickname, Gabe, which was pretty irritating, and it used to get to me for a while. As listeners may or may not know, I am transgender, or more simply, trans. I mean, I was born female, but identify and am transitioning to a male I know myself to be. Before I came to terms with this, I was simply a tomboy who everybody thought was a lesbian. Once I came out as trans, it ended up working out that the work, the name Gabe actually stuck. While I used that to my advantage, it also irritated DG. The older I got, the more defiant I became. Typical teen, but it was a bit different for me. The older we kids got, the more control DG had over us and our mom, sadly. He took us out of bilingual school, barely allowed us to see our dad's family, and every chance he would pick at me. Some days, I felt like I had nowhere to go. I had always known something was different about me, and it wasn't until I started 8th grade that I figured out that I liked women. My sophomore year of high school, my mom found out that I was in the closet because I wrote a blog in my sophomore English class about my then-girlfriend. Silly me. My mom was able to figure out who it was through process of elimination, and that began the worst year of my life thus far. My mom and DG would say gay people were the scum of the earth, use derogatory language to refer to being gay, following me to class, and telling teachers to separate me from my then-girlfriend, and they outed me to all of my family. The worst part was they outed me to my dad, who was deployed at the time. Every day once I got home, I had to do my sibling's chores, my chores, and I wasn't allowed to speak or do homework until I was cleared up until I cleaned up from dinner alone. School became my safe haven. If it hadn't been for my teachers and my friends, I probably would have thought or committed suicide, but it never crossed my mind because I had a strong support system in school. Thank goodness. A year or so later, my mom began to accept me being a lesbian because people at school accepted me. DG, on the other hand, never fully accepted me. When my then-girlfriend and I were around, he would make homophobic slurs. What I didn't realize then was that the worst had yet was yet to come. If there was a day that DG and I didn't get into an argument, it was a miracle, especially when I noticed that DG started drinking more than just two or three beers a night. And this was with up to six kids in the house. Since his drinking led to more arguments, my mom was constantly in the, make, in the middle, making sure that neither of us laid a hand on each other. He tried to get me to crack, meaning cry, which in turn made me more and more reticent, and my mom would do nothing about it. Our household was extremely toxic, and I regret being the way I was as I didn't consider how this situation was impacting my siblings. Eventually, my hunch was right about his drinking, and we ended up losing everything, including our house. We were back to living in an apartment, thankfully a two-bedroom, so at least my brothers had a room to themselves, and my sister and I slept on couches. I was grateful to have a couch and a roof over my head, but in those close quarters, DG and I had an argument that went too far. I was asking my mom about my graduation party as I was a senior in high school at this time and wondered if my uncle could come with his partner. That put DG over the edge and he said the F word, 
which I, he knew and I knew I'd never have liked. I had had enough and bowled up to all six feet of him. Keep in mind, I'm 5'4", and I proceeded to shove him out of my space. He shoved me back, and I hit my head on the chair. This led to a nod on my head. At school the next day, I told a few teachers but didn't realize they were mandated reporters and had to report it, so I ended up in the security office explaining what had happened. My mom eventually came in only supporting DG, so I gave her an ultimatum. Leave him? Or I refused to leave with her. My dad had to come and get me, and I told him and my mom that I wouldn't live another day with DG as long as I was in high school. Instead of taking my side, my mom let me live with my Nana Lucy for the rest of the year, and my mom continued to live with DG when I was in college. Once I left for McPherson to attend college, a lot changed at home. DG's drinking had gotten worse, and since I was not there, my brothers were now bearing the brunt end of his abuse. I got word throughout my freshman year of this, which led me to drinking and drugs. I ended up in the psychiatric ward from my world at home and in college crashing down. Then I came out as transgender in the fall of my sophomore year at McPherson. I was terrified to tell my mom and DG after all I had been through with them, so I came out to them in a therapy session. It took my mom a while, a couple years, but eventually she accepted me for who I am. Sadly, DG never really did. Eventually, a few years later, DG was given an ultimatum after an officer at school found out he was targeting my brother. He either needed to leave my mom or else. He chose to go back to his hometown. Sadly, my mom would follow him there when my brother and I were in college. It took my mom until right before I graduated college to file for the divorce from DG. I forgot to mention that she and DG did get married early on in their relationship. My mom had to realize that DG wasn't going to change and that he was a toxic person. She had to realize it for herself, though, that he was in fact never going to change and that he was truly toxic. Fast forward, July 2020, DG died from cirrhosis. He could never give up drinking. Before DG died, I had already forgiven him. I do not like talking about him, but I forgave him. My biggest regret is not getting to reconcile with him or even writing him a letter explaining what he had done to me so I knew that he was aware of how hurtful and damaging he was in my youth. Desmond Tutu wrote the book, The Book of Forgiving, with his daughter. This book may be a helpful resource for anyone out there who is trying to navigate how to forgive someone or how to be forgiven themselves. If you don't know who Desmond Tutu is, please Google him. He is an 89-year-old South African archbishop. During the time of South Africa's racial segregation, Tutu preached nonviolence and was named by President Nelson Mandela to lead the Truth and Reconciliation Coalition that investigated allegations of human rights abuses during the apartheid era. Tutu also won a Nobel Peace Prize for his work during the apartheid era. Tutu discusses a fourfold path to forgiveness, telling the story, naming the hurt, granting forgiveness, and renewing or releasing the relationship. I will tell you about each step and what Tutu himself says, and then I will talk about my path through each step. The first step, according to Tutu, is telling the story. By telling your story, 
Tutu says, we get our dignity back. The first thing one needs to do is tell the facts. How do you remember the story? If others were around when the incident happened and they are affirming, they could help you put together everything that happened. The cost of not telling your story is your sanity and your happiness. The other step that you can take is telling the perpetrator. Now, if you don't feel comfortable with this telling them in person, do it in a letter. Even if you never send it, the important part is retelling the story and getting your feelings out. Lastly, you can tell your story publicly because the more you tell your story, the more healing you do from the wrongdoing. Telling my story was at first only telling my friends about the various things that DG would do while they were happening. But now that DG and I have no connection, I told people around me who seem empathetic and compassionate. Eventually, I was able to tell my story publicly like I am right now, but it took a lot to get to this point, especially since DG is deceased. But I think my story can help people that may be in the same predicament and can help you see that there is a way out. Naming the harm is the second step Tutu discusses. He first discusses the why behind naming the hurt, which is to allow the space for us to repair what has been broken. Keeping it bottled inside will just eat us alive. Tutu also explains that what we do for this fourfold process every time we hurt, it just may look different when we name the hurt, depending on how much it affects us. He reiterates again that never naming the hurt eventually catches up to us, and dealing with it in a healthy way is better. The second part of this step to, to discuss is grief. People think grief is the only is only what we feel when we lose someone, but we also can grieve when we lose something. There are widely acknowledged stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. We don't always go through all of them, and it won't necessarily be a linear progression, but these stages are most common. The good news is that once we name the harm against us, we are out of the denial stage. However, there is still a lot more work to be done. Tutu reminds us that there is no wrong way to feel when you have been harmed, and as long as you are getting out the feelings, then you will be okay eventually. Naming the harm wasn't so hard for me until it got to the part about feeling everything DG had done to me. Telling my story is always hard. I told you this story because I know that there may be someone that has been in the position, in my position, dealing with emotional, verbal, and physical abuse, and quite possibly someone who may have dealt or deal with someone who has an addiction. I also tell this story because it helps me cope with the trauma I endured. This is a healthier way of dealing with it, and between telling my story and working through it in therapy, I can attest that Tutu is right. It does help. Grief has always been something that I've struggled with. I don't deal with it well. I never denied what had happened with DG because it was a part of my life growing up. What I didn't deny, what I did deny was my mother's part in it. My mother stood alongside all, while all this was going on and never stood up for me and my siblings because she would always chose DG instead of us. It took her a decade to see an error in her actions. Where I also struggled was with anger and depression to the point that I needed to be hospitalized for my own safety. What I didn't realize is that I really needed to, what I really needed to do was to get help and not rely on my friends to deal with the trauma that I had endured. It took a push from the Dean of Students at the college, but I finally was able to get mental help through therapy. 
Talking about the need to address my mental health is not shameful, nor should it be. Mental health is something millions of us struggle with, and it is important as our physical health. What also helped me, though, they didn't realize it, was going to the McPherson Church with Brethren, listening to Pastor Jerry and Catherine weekly, and being with a church family that got me through some of the hardest times in college that I dealt with while I dealt with this situation. Having that support system truly helped me get through. More importantly, God did too. Please know that regardless of what I have said here, you do not have to forgive someone if you are not ready. It took me at least 12 years to deal with this and finally forgive DG. Your journey to forgiveness is personal. It may take more or less time, and that's okay. The third step that Tutu discusses in his book is the actual granting of forgiveness. Tutu puts it perfectly by saying that we choose forgiveness because it is how we find freedom and keep from remaining trapped in an endless loop of telling our stories and naming our hurts. By forgiving, we are giving ourselves the space to grow as humans. The other thing that granting forgiveness does is allowing us to see that we have a shared humanity. The person who harmed us, we realize, is also a human being who has a story that could affect why they harmed us. While this doesn't excuse the harm that they have caused, it provides the person who was harmed context to what led the person to cause the harm. As Tutu says, the roles could be reversed. We could also be the ones who harm others. Therefore, we have to remember we are all a part of the same human race. In finding humanity, Tutu says, we are able to show compassion and empathy. Now that we have told our story and name our harm, we need to accept the frailty and the vulnerability of others, Tutu explains. This is a tough process that had not occurred to me until I read this chapter. Another part of granting forgiveness is being truthful with our forgiveness. I know sometimes we are quick to forgive someone, but we may not truly mean it. True forgiveness is a feeling of that weight being lifted from yourself and your soul when you say the words, I forgive you, to someone. Or it could be a simple feeling of inner peace. Only you know what that feels like and what forgiving somebody truly makes you feel like. Once you truly forgive, Tutu describes a person being able to tell a new story of their harm. Now you recognize a shared humanity between you and the person who caused you harm and are better able to speak with courage and renewed sense of dignity. When someone shares their story at this point, you hear their dignity in their voice. By telling your story, you are allowing yourself to grow as a person, showing empathy and show the ability to claim your life as your own instead of it belonging to the person who harmed you. That is how you grow, just like a muscle. Our muscles grow when we fight against the force and, can you, and we continue to work it out. Forgiving the person or persons may be hard and take time, but every time we forgive, we set ourselves free. This third step was the hardest part of me in forgiving DG and my mom. For a long time, I blamed my mental health and poor decisions in college on the trauma I had endured because of him and my mom. Listening to my siblings' cries because of their trauma gave me a reason to drink or use drugs. Instead of working through the pain, it took me until I finally went into therapy to truly let out my feelings and come to terms with everything I was dealing with. But like my therapist said, I had to navigate my own suffering and be honest with it before I was even ready to forgive DG and my mother. It honestly took years to step up and acknowledge what happened, sit with it, and forgive.
I can 100% say I've forgiven my mother and ex-stepdad. But as Tutu talks about that feeling of peace, I felt that with this, a sense of weight lifted off my shoulders when I not only forgave them but also forgave myself. I speak about what happened with nobility. I can feel it and regret nothing because it allowed me to become a stronger person by the grace of God. It will take time for you to forgive, but once you do, you will feel so much better. You are already a strong human for going through what you have gone through, but forgiving someone takes much more power and strength. The final step of the fourfold pass is renewing or releasing the relationship. After you have forgiven the person or persons for causing you the harm, you ultimately have a choice to continue the relationship or not. Only you can make this choice. No one else can. Releasing the relationship is hard, Tutu explains, but we must understand that part of them may continue to be in our hearts. If we choose to renew our relationship, we must understand that it may look different because of the harm that the person has caused us. We have forgiven them knowing what they have done to us will remain in us though. If we decide to renew the relationship, the biggest part of doing so is the act of reconciliation. Like I spoke about at the beginning, it takes one person to forgive but two people to reconcile. One part of this is recognizing our part in the conflict. I will say that sometimes we haven't really done anything to justify the harm done to us, but sometimes deep down, we do know that we in fact play a part, which isn't always the case, but when it is, we need to be honest and recognize it. When we truly own up and take responsibility for our own wrongdoings, we are able to open our hearts to renewing the relationship and forgiveness. Another thing we need to think about in this last step is to think about what we truly need from this. Do we need an apology? A reason why the harm was done? Monetary compensation? If, for instance, something was stolen from you? Once you figure out what you exactly need, this can help you figure out what you need to do in terms of renewing and releasing it. If you cannot ask the person directly what you need from them, you can ask it from others. Not monetary, obviously, but maybe you need empathy, a shoulder to cry on, compassion. Tutu says once you are able to ask for what you need to heal, you are no longer the victim of the pain. You are choosing your fate, and when you allow yourself to understand what you need to move on and or heal. According to Tutu, releasing the relationship means that for your own well-being, maybe safety, maybe sanity, you no longer want a relationship with the person or persons who has harmed you. Releasing is refusing to let an experience or a person occupy the space in your head or heart any longer. It is releasing not only the relationship, but your old story of the relationship. Renewing a relationship is not going back to the way things were at all. We never forget or pretend something didn't happen when we renew a relationship. Oftentimes, according to Tutu, this relationship becomes stronger than the previous ones because together the person and the persons who have been harmed then face the truth together. Recognize their humanities and each tell a story of renewed relationship. I want to remind all of you from what I have learned from Tutu in this book and the steps is that everyone goes at their own pace through the steps. Sometimes you'll take longer in one step and the other because then another because you're not ready for that part yet. I want to tell you that this is okay. All will be okay or eventually will be. There will be times where you will need to do the force fold steps. Sometimes someone else will have to do them because you have hurt them. 
We are all human. Step four also took me a long time to come to terms with when it came to DG and my mom. I think DG was easier to forgive because he was out of my life and I knew that I no longer needed to renew the relationship with him. He had done quite a bit of damage to me. And since he hasn't changed, his, since he wasn't changing his drinking habits, I didn't want that to be a part of my life. However, I allowed myself to overcome the past trauma I experienced where he was involved and see it as a catalyst that made me a stronger version of myself. In terms of my mom, there are a few times throughout this story where I did not think I would renew the relationship and I would release it because I did not think I could handle the trauma that I had been through. However, not only is she my mom, but she showed promise to me when she finally left him and apologized for what she had done to me and my siblings all those years. All I wanted from her was to own up to her part of this nightmare that was my life for many years. I also, however, apologized for my part. I came to realize that I played a part and made my mom's life harder when I chose to be defiant and backtalk and when I chose to argue with DG instead of simply walking away. I, however, refused to apologize for giving her ultimatums that I did for the safety of my siblings and myself. I needed her to acknowledge the choices that negatively impacted my life and caused trauma, and I needed to acknowledge that my drinking and drugs was my choice and no one else's. I truly believe that the relationship with my mom and I have now is now stronger than ever because we did exactly what Tutu said to do. Through reading Tutu's book, I gained knowledge of how to better forgive people as well as myself for the pain I have caused others. I am here telling my story and discussing the trauma DG caused, but also acknowledge that I'm not perfect and have caused others pain as well. I realize that one of the people I need to forgive in this story is myself for all the trauma that I have gone through and the people and put people through. I wasn't ready to openly say I was a toxic person in all parts of my life towards other people. People in my life have chosen to release a relationship, our relationship, due to my actions and others have worked with me to renew relationships I have damaged by my words and actions. It is important for you to know that I have been the bad guy in my story too, and in others. So what does this all have to do with God? As I like to say, everything. Forgiveness and relationships are a part of Christian values. What I learned through Catholicism and being a brethren is that if Jesus was able to forgive those that criticized him like kings and people, or denied him like Peter did three times, or crucified him, we should be able to forgive as well. I wholeheartedly believe that once we forgive just like Jesus did, we are able to have inner peace that will allow us to be the people that the Holy Trinity want us to be in this world. I would like to leave you all with a prayer. Lord, thank you to all the listeners who hopefully have not only listened with their ears, but with their hearts. Thank you for the chance to preach the words that you gave me about forgiveness and reconciliation. Lord, I pray that each individual listening finds peace within forgiving through their fourfold path. Thank you for giving us the space to understand your teachings and showing us the way to forgive. Allow these beautiful, loving human beings to continue their work to emulate you. Amen. Who is it that you need to forgive? Who is it that you need to ask forgiveness from? 
Forgiveness is a big deal to Jesus and throughout all of the New Testament. It's not something we can shy away from or ignore. Ephesians 4 reminds us to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as in Christ God forgave you. And I confess that I find it a whole lot easier to just ghost people that I have an issue with instead of entering into the complicated and labor-intensive process of forgiveness, like Gabe outlined. But that kind of hard work is literally commanded by Jesus. It's what we are called and instructed and given the privilege of doing. Wherever you are in your journey toward forgiveness, toward being forgiven, Know that you and I and all of us are held in a love that's so big and wide and deep that there is room for all the complicated feelings and all the difficult processes and all the time that this work, this holy work, takes. God's love is big enough to encompass all of it, to encompass all of us. Thanks be to God. So much gratitude for to Gabe for today's episode. I am Dana Cassell, one of a rotating group of podcast hosts. The Dunker Punks podcast is a group of Jesus followers committed to radical practices like forgiveness. Jacob Krause creates our music. Ali Cooney manages communication. Suzanne Lay manages production. And Arlington Church of the Brethren and On Earth Peace sponsor our show. You can find us online where you can subscribe or leave a comment at arlingtoncob.org slash dpp. And you can find us across social media at DunkerPunksPod. We would love to hear from you, your show ideas, your comments, your reactions. You can email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org. And if you didn't know, we are sending out newsletters at the beginning and end of each season. And if you want to sign up for that, you can do that on the webpage as well. You can also find ways to be a donor and help support this fantastic work. Again, that's arlingtoncob.org slash dpp. Our next episode will be live on October 30th. So be on the lookout, check your feeds, subscribe, share, and until next time, Dunker Punks, be well.